One month into Israel's reprisal on Gaza for the October 7th terror attacks by Hamas, international diplomacy is floundering over differences on whether there should be a ceasefire. U.S. top envoy Blinken is on a whistle-stop tour of Asia, including in Delhi. Are there any endgames to the incessant suffering? Is there any role for India? And what are the 10 big outcomes that the Israeli war on Gaza could have on the world. What is the big impact we should look for? Hello and welcome to Worldview at the Hindu with me, Sohasini Heather. More than 30 days after the world was horrified by the Hamas terror strikes along Israeli border areas, the world is mortified by Israel's continuing reprisal attacks on Palestinians in Gaza. In this month, both sides are counting the casualties. 1,439 Israelis dead in the attacks, more than 10,000 Palestinians dead in the bombings, 750,000 Gaza residents have been forced out of their homes by Israel's calls for evacuation of North Gaza. And of course, the casualties continue to rise. Israeli defense forces are closing in with a ground offensive on Gaza City and have effectively cleared areas so as to divide Gaza, North and South, for its operations and of course the IDF are losing soldiers as well. Hospitals, schools, refugee camps have all been bombed as Israel hunts for Hamas militants and then searches for the hostages, about 240 of them that believe to have been taken there. Of those killed in Gaza, remember an estimated 4,000 are children. <laughs> Gaza is becoming a graveyard for children. Hundreds of girls and boys are reportedly being killed or injured every day. More journalists have reportedly been killed over a four-week period than in any conflict in at least three decades. More United Nations aid workers have been killed than in any comparable period in the history of our organization. And the unfolding catastrophe makes the need for a humanitarian ceasefire more urgent with every passing hour. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres speaking there about the graveyard for children that Gaza has become. Now, Israel maintains it will not stop the bombing until Hamas is eliminated and hostages are returned. Well, one thing we haven't agreed to is a ceasefire. A ceasefire with Hamas means surrender to Hamas, surrender to terror, and the victory of the uh, Iran's axis of terror. So there won't be a ceasefire without the release of the Israeli hostages. That's so the Israeli Prime Minister was speaking in an interview there. Now here internationally is what has happened over the past month. At present, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, who's been doing a lot of diplomacy around the world, was in India after visits to Tel Aviv, Ramallah, Amman, Baghdad, Ankara, Seoul and Tokyo all in one trip. Uh, in Tokyo, he attended a G7 meeting. He held talks in Delhi with External Affairs Minister S.J. Shankar, held the 2 plus 2 dialogue between India and U.S. foreign and defense ministers as well. At a time of great momentum in the United States uh, and India partnership. In the face of urban, uh, urgent global challenges, it's more important than ever that the world's two largest democracies exchange views, find common goals, and deliver for our people. We've made impressive gains in building our major defense partnership over the past year, and that will help keep us 
help us contribute even more together to the cause of peace and stability. So we'll come back to India's role in just a bit. But let's just take a look at how the world has responded over the month. What have been international responses? More recently, G7 countries have met in Tokyo. They've affirmed their support to Israel. No ceasefire. They're not calling for a ceasefire, but call for humanitarian pauses in the bombing of Gaza in order to allow aid to go in. This weekend, Saudi Arabia is hosting the Arab League Summit, followed by an OIC or Organization for Islamic Cooperation Summit to discuss the way forward. And you can expect a condemnation of Israel's bombing there. So the G7 on one side, the OIC on another. Now, while leaders of many countries have visited Jerusalem in the last month to express their support, at least nine countries have now withdrawn their diplomats from Israel to protest against Israel as well. South African Foreign Minister Naledi Pandor went a step further this week, calling for the ICC to step in. The murder of children, of women, and the aged by Israel is an act that should have resulted in the International Criminal Court issuing an immediate arrest warrant for key decision makers, including Mr. Netanyahu, who is responsible for violations of international criminal law. So let's get you the long view now. What analysts fear will be the wider impact of the crisis, especially as, as it expands and goes on over time? The first is really the growing global polarization after Ukraine, Taiwan, Middle East. We're now looking at two sides, as we said, on this issue between Israel and Palestine. Second, the Saudi-Israel normalization of ties seems to have been put on hold for now. But even the Abraham Accords were, that were signed, as they were called, in 2020, where we saw UAE, Bahrain, Morocco establish ties with Israel, these might get rethought if the conflict continues at this pace. The future of Gaza, the refugees that go out of Gaza, their impact on Egypt and Jordan is something to watch in particular. If you have already had 750,000 forced out of their homes in the north, and who knows how many more, uh, because the entire population is about 2.2 million. What does that mean for the neighbors of Israel who may be expected to take in some of these refugees or who may flat refuse to? The other part is the impact on the Palestinian movement as Palestine's authority, headed by uh, Prime Minister, uh, President Mahmoud Abbas, is seen as ineffectual at countering Israel to, uh, and, and therefore, you could see violent movements like Hamas, even if Hamas doesn't exist anymore, gain support there. And that violence would engulf the West Bank as well. Uh, now, remember, in Israeli bombings, about 150 people have died on the West Bank side as well. And we saw President Mahmoud Abbas's uh, convoy being attacked over there. Fifth are the questions about Israel's ability to protect itself. How did this attack, the October 7th attacks, evade intelligence, counteraction, pursuit of attackers, bringing back hostages. All of those questions are really posing a problem for Israeli security capacity, once thought invincible by the world. And the world may have to rethink just how Israel is able to secure its citizens. Next is the worries over the conflict between Israel and then Hamas, Iran, and allied organizations uh, like Hezbollah in Lebanon, Houthis in Yemen as well. That could see the violence spread, although Iran has really distanced itself and, and denied any culpability in any of this violence. 
Now, U.S. resources as a result are going to get more stretched. Middle East, Ukraine, now the Indo-Pacific. When asked, here's what U.S. President Biden said about the multiple conflicts and the poly crises and whether the U.S. could cope. We're the United States of America, for God's sake. The most powerful nation in the history, not in the world, in the history of the world. The history of the world. We can take care of both of these and still maintain our overall international defense. We have the capacity to do this, and we have an obligation to. We are the essential nation, as to, to, to Paris, Paris, the former Secretary of State. And if we don't, who does? Brave, bold words over there, but alluding to how it had ended for the U.S. in Afghanistan post 9-11, here's what U.S. President Biden said in Israel about a month ago, and it's worth listening in again. Justice must be done. But I caution this while you feel that rage. Don't be consumed by it. After 9-11, we were enraged in the United States. While we sought justice and got justice, we also made mistakes. Now, apart from the U.S., there's also worry about the impact of the growing conflict on global and regional trade and connect connectivity initiatives like the India-Middle East-Europe Economic Corridor, the I2U2 with UAE and Israel and the U.S. as well, uh, and other multilateral plans in that particular region. Uh, we're also seeing a worrying rise in anti-Semitic, Islamophobic sentiments in different capitals of the world. And we've already seen police clashing with radical protesters on both sides, as well as identity-based attacks on people in the U.S., in Europe, China and other places. Finally, the real big worry is about the impact on the international order itself and the United Nations in particular looking like it's in decline. Uh, we've seen the killing of uh, UNRWA workers. There's, there's been no heed to the UN's call for a ceasefire. There's no movement at the UN Security Council, supposed to be the most powerful body, but completely gridlocked on the question of whether there should be peace, peacekeepers or military observers in the conflict. And we are seeing the willful violation of international humanitarian law and other human rights conventions by the UN states. So where does India stand on all of this? In a pointed departure from the past, India voted to abstain on a UNGA resolution calling for a ceasefire, as it said that the resolution didn't reference the October 7th attacks. Now, my analysis of the vote is online on www.thehindu.com. But this week, we also saw the Ministry of External Affairs spokesperson spelling out India's new balancing position. We have strongly condemned the horrific terrorist attack on Israel, urged the need for zero tolerance for terrorism, and called for immediate and unconditional release of hostages. We have also conveyed our deep concern at the humanitarian crisis in Gaza and the increasing civilian toll, and welcomed efforts to de-escalate the situation and provide humanitarian assistance. Uh, India has also sent 38 tons of humanitarian relief material. We have emphasized the need for strict observance of international humanitarian law. Uh, we have also urged the parties to de-escalate, eschew violence and work towards creating conditions for an early resumption of direct peace negotiations towards a two-state solution. So let me sum it up for you. Affirming ties with Israel, India is also showing zero tolerance for terrorist attacks on civilians, but it is sending aid to Gaza. It is showing concern for civilians killed, talking about the Palestinian question. Even so, India hasn't actually sent an envoy to the region as so many other countries have. 
India abstained at the United Nations on calls for the ceasefire, as you saw there. But it has voted for several resolutions just in the past few weeks uh, that criticize Israel's occupation of Palestinian territories. So a little bit of obfuscation, a little bit of confusion in short, like other such conflicts in the recent past, including in Syria, Ukraine, Afghanistan, Myanmar and others, the government has clearly decided to adopt the least intrusive and non-interfering positions that also antagonize neither side. So what's worldview's take? Israel's anger can be understood. Its need to secure its citizen absolutely understood. But a state has a responsibility not to allow its desire for revenge to cloud its search for justice. With massive civilian casualties, uh, no way really of showing uh, that it has diminished Hamas's capabilities just yet or dismantled Hamas, no sign of the hostages returning, Israel's unceasing bombing of Gaza is unsustainable in any term or time period, as the indiscriminate bombing will only show or sow the seeds for the next generation of violence. The conflict itself poses the biggest challenge to international world order and shows the United Nations in the poorest, least effective light. India's leadership on this issue, therefore, would be welcomed, but its abstention from a position at the UN will be disappointing to many in the region, in Asia and the Global South, all of whom voted differently from Delhi. Now, I do want to get you some new uh, worldview reading recommendations, but I want you to go and look at the recommendations in episode 127 as well. So let me get you some more reading recommendations. I'm not going to repeat. One is The Hundred Years' War on Palestine, A History of Settler, Colonialism and Resistance from 1917 to 2017. So a century of what happened according to Rashid Khalidi, um, who is also the author of The Iron Cage, the story of the Palestinian struggle for statehood. So Rashid Khalidi is definitely an author that you want to watch out for. The other, The Gun and the Olive Branch, The Roots of Violence in the Middle East. This is by David Hurst. Uh, it has a slightly different perspective. A book I really do think you should read because it's by a very famous author called Killing a King, The Assassination of Yitzhak Rabin and the Remaking of Israel by Dan Efron. It talks about the rise uh, in Israel of the right-wing conservatives as well. Six Days of War, June 1967 and the Making of the Modern Middle East by Michael B. Oren. Uh, this is a classic. It came out in, I think, 2002, but it's still very well worth reading. Uh, this book, Failing Peace, Gaza and the Palestinian-Israeli Conflict by Sarah Roy. Now, Sarah Roy is actually the grandchild of Holocaust survivors. Uh, it's a very, very uh, sensitive book. Another book called Blind Spot. This is about the U.S. So, America and the Palestinians from Balfour to Trump by Khalid El-Gindi. Of course, Balfour was the declaration that the U.K., had put out, um, the Balfour Declaration as it was known. Uh, there's a book uh, that you would uh, would find very interesting called Terror, How Israel Has Coped and What America Can Learn by Leonard Cole. This was written in the 2000s, I think 2007, but well worth reading about how Israel was viewed in the past. Um, I also have two books on global conflict that you might uh, actually find, show some, you know, throw some light on the conflict in question. The one is called The World in Conflict by John Andrews. I think this is brought out by The Economist magazine. And of course, The Tragedy of Great Power Politics by John J. Mearsheimer, who's also the author of so many other books I've recommended in the past. So I hope you, uh, you do find the time to read all of these and do join us again here on Worldview from the team. Thanks for watching.
do log in to the Hindu's YouTube channel as well and go to our website www.thehindu.com. Thank you.